Welcome to the Confident Entrepreneur Podcast, a place for you to get inspired, build confidence, and have authentic conversations about the challenges of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Faith Hubdi. I'm a wife, a mom, a serial entrepreneur, and an integrative life and business coach. Each week, I'll be bringing you new episodes from not only my 16 years in business, but also interviews with your fellow entrepreneurs in a variety of industries. We do better when we learn from each other, and we're going to be sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly, our successes and our failures. We're going to laugh, and we might cry a little bit, but we're going to do it together. My hope for you is that you will be inspired to confidently go after your dreams and design a life and a business that you love. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of The Confident Entrepreneur. Thank you for being here and taking time out of your day. Today, we have my dear friend, Dr. Irene Luke. I'm so excited that you're here. She is a therapeutic pain specialist that focuses on reconnecting the brain and body through neuroscience. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I am so excited. I've been waiting for this conversation and we're going to talk about why that was delayed or obviously, because that kind of plays into what we were even having you on here for in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so this has been a couple months in the making, actually. Yeah. Several months Mm -hmm. in the making. Mm -hmm. Um, So first, why don't you tell us, because neuroscience sounds really um, fancy and cool, which you are fancy and cool. I am not actually, (laughs) (laughs) but thank you. That is the right way to start an interview, I think. (laughs) Um, But can you tell us, why don't you just tell us what you do in your practice? Yeah. So I help people who have chronic pain and autoimmune conditions um, get to a place where they reconnect their brain and bodies. And I use a blend of neuroscience. And then I use some technology that's basically a mirror to what your brain's doing. We can change brain waves, but we can also just use just plain old brain training, which is just learning new techniques, um, new feedback loops in the brain. And we just practice those over and over. It's just like every time you practice something, you're going to get better at it. But when you're feeling like you're in burnout or you're not feeling well, you don't know what you're practicing because you don't feel good. And so I teach people to learn how to get out of burnout and how to get out of pain by reconnecting that part of your brain that doesn't seem to get out of fight or flight. It might be stuck in a trauma mode. It might be stuck in an anxiety mode. And um, I've seen a lot of cool things happen when people actually stop just treating their bodies and actually start focusing on reconnecting their brain and body because the brain controls the body. Yeah, I love that. And I know this is one of those topics that I could geek out on for hours. And I think last time we did a podcast together, we did. (laughs) Like we talked for two hours. Yeah. Two hours after we got done with recording, we should have just recorded the whole thing. We would have like three episodes. Um, so with the, the pain, I'm, I want to talk about that just a little bit. So we're talking about physical pain Mm -hmm. that, um, people come to you. I'm guessing a lot of times as a last resort, like they've gone other places, they've been doing the pain meds and physical therapy and all that stuff. And Can you talk to a little bit about that? Because I think it's just so interesting. Yeah. So a lot of times people think, okay, well, let's say you hurt your back, right? So the first thing you do is you go to a doctor. They're going to look at your back, make sure that it's a muscle thing or a joint thing. 
oftentimes they don't really know. So they're going to put you on some medicine. If you take that medicine and it doesn't work, then they send you to a specialist and that specialist might say, okay, now we have to take some images. We need to do more tests. We don't know what's going on. And then that process of testing and trying to figure things out can last a really long time, but sometimes the specialist can't find anything wrong. And those are the people that end up coming into my practice. And the reason why is because sometimes it's not just in the joints and the muscles and the organs. It's something that's gone haywire with the signaling between the body and the brain. And there's no real test for it. It's just that you've been in pain for a really, really long time. So it's not that people choose me as a last resort. It's like, there, there are legitimate things that you want to clear off of your plate and say, okay, it's not my muscle. It's not my joints. It's not this organ that's bothering me. Um, but why can't I sleep at night? Why is it nagging me at night? And they can even go to like a massage therapist, a physical therapist, all of these other things and do all the right things and still be in pain if the body is still stuck in fight or flight, which is a really tough thing for people to even understand oftentimes, because they think that if they just have another surgery, another procedure, then, then why wouldn't it work? And oftentimes if you get a, um, a surgery or procedure and it's not the right thing, it actually makes your symptoms worse. And those are the people that often come to my practice and they just feel burdened by all of the things that they've tried thinking that it was the right thing, not really sure what to do next. And then they kind of don't even trust the medical system to be on their side because no one can figure out an answer. Um, and so that's why I got into the field that I did is I, I just had so many patients that couldn't find answers. So I just went back to school and more school and more school until we could actually find some answers. And then really the most important thing is to find a practitioner that walks through this with you. And so I like to just say, well, if you don't have someone that walks through your health journey with you, then find one. And I'm that person for the people that come to see me. So, um, yeah, so I don't know what really was the question about chronic pain. I hope <laughs> no, I that, was that. Okay. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. I just, I, th I think it, um, it's such a, I, well, I know, cause I have one of my best friends comes to you as a patient and, you know, from her, she's told me about her experience and, and it's the only thing that helps, you know? And so I just think it's such a powerful thing because we're, we've been talking about the power that our mind has and, you know, that we can have power over our, our mental health. Um, we can have power over our physical health um, and how much of that, you know, people don't realize. And so, that's why I wanted to kind of touch on that because I think when people think of physical pain and like you said, you have to go, you know, down and process of elimination. Right. But they think that there's, there's an end to that road mm -hmm. and you are, you are telling us that there's not an end to the road. <laughs> there isn't. And oftentimes like some people will say, well, there has to be a drug out there that someone can develop. That's going to take it away. And the hardest conversation I have to have with people is that if you are the type of person that thinks there's a pill out there, that's going to cure everything, then it's a hard reality to know that there isn't. And, right. um, I try to be as gentle as possible to tell people like there is no surgery or pill that can cure you, but there is hope because you can learn how to heal because we're designed. I, I firmly believe um, the more that I've studied medicine and the body and um, even taught on it, that we are designed inside of us to have the mechanisms to heal. 
but we don't always know how to tap into that because we've had so much trauma and pain itself is a trauma, right? And then the surgeries on top of it, or even the side effects from medications is all kind of like robbing you from the person that you're meant to be. So when we get back to who we're meant to be, it's almost like you're, you, you can start healing. That is healing. I yeah, think so. Um, so that's my approach is like, I try to tell people there is no pill that can make you who you are. We can use the pills and the procedures and the surgeries and looking at all the tests to kind of get us to one step closer, but only you can decide as a patient or a person, the person that you want to be in the end. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there just for the journey, right? So some people come to me and they're just like, I've never even thought about who I want to be. What would I be without this pain anymore? I don't mm-hmm. even remember who I was before. Mm-hmm. And that's a conversation that's worth having. Um, oftentimes I think medical providers don't think that deep. They just try to outsource it to a counselor. And I don't think that that's just a counselor's job. I think it's everyone's job to really love their fellow human being in front of them and say, what is your story and how can I be a part of it? Yeah. I love that. Okay. So the thing I was specifically wanted you to come on here about was something that we talked about, like I said, after we had recorded the last podcast and we got talking for two hours after that, <laughs> it, was <fun. laughs> it was, it was good, but I, but there was things, um, that you were telling me that I was just like mind blown. Um, and it was specifically around this uh, and I'm, I'm going to tie it into a little bow and say burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's a, a topic that you teach on. So, um, why don't you just maybe start from the beginning of, um, your burnout? Cause this is your personal story of burnout where that's what we're going to focus on. So what, what guard got you started even studying burnout? Because I know that you're one of those people that applies it to yourself first before you ever talk to a patient about it. And I love that. So just, I'll just let you go. (laughs) Well, so, um, way back when I, uh, was in grad school and like many high achievers, I would say at that point I was probably an overachiever and you know, the difference because you coach people, right? There's a difference (laughs) between high achiever, which you set yourself up for a goal and you achieve that goal. And it's a Mm -hmm. high goal, but you can attain it versus like an overachiever. That's like, I must attain all the goals all at once simultaneously. And I don't care how much it robs me to to do it. Right. That overachiever attitude is kind of how I lived my life through college and, um, and grad school. And so I was like, this is fine. I'm young. I don't need any sleep. I don't have to take care of my body. I'm just going to gun it for the best job, the best experience graduating at the top of my class. So at 22, everything was fine. I just you know, I cut off a year of my grad school, um, so that I was able to graduate early. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm like, so smart. Um, it's so <laughs> awesome. You know, like when you're 20, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like when you're 20, I, I can say that to like other 22 year olds. Now I'm like, no, you're not that smart and you're not that awesome because I thought the same thing. And I'm really, I was very humbled because, um, right after I graduated, I graduated in December And then I got my first job, went through my board exams, worked for a few months. And that next fall, all of my hair started falling out in clumps. It was such a sudden thing. No one knew what was going on. I like went from a full head of hair to just like holes, just all throughout my hair. So it wasn't like 
really clear. Like it wasn't a dermatological issue, but that was the best doctor I could find. And so I will never forget it. He was like, huh, this is really strange. Let's take a scalp biopsy. So they biopsied my scalp and they found that there was such high levels of inflammation that they didn't know what it was. They're just like, do you have cancer? Like what's going on in your body? So they proceeded to do all of these tests and any of my patients that have been through a battery of tests where they take vials and vials of blood, understand how scary it is. It's like with each vial of blood, you're like, certainly they're going to find something, right? A diagnosis like this, this has to result in something because I'm just like bleeding myself (laughs) dry for you. And, um, the biopsy came back. He's just like inconclusive. We don't know like what's going on. We don't know what your, your blood is saying that you're fine. Obviously you're not during this time. I was also having a bit of like a image crisis, right? Like I am starting a new job. I'm in the professional field and I have like patchy hair, which I was like, maybe what do you do? Like, do you wear a scarf? Can I wear a scarf? I'm, you know, so I had to like actually go to my superiors and ask them if I could wear a scarf for a while. And then that was just a little bit too much to watch my hair fall out. So I just shaved my head and wore scarves to work. And everyone thought I was like a cancer patient basically. Um, so it took a while to not even get a diagnosis. I would say that it took about like a half a year. And during that year, there was so much fear and just feeling like no one understood me. Um, there's this hopelessness and this, this sense of like, this is how my new life is going to be. I will never be who I was before. That was probably the hardest part. That part of burnout is like the depths, the deepest part of burnout where you don't feel like yourself anymore. And you're pretty sure like people say stupid things all the time. Um, they really do, which I think is just unfortunate. And I, I say stupid, not because the people are stupid, but they just try to help. And they're really not like one person was like, just try to relax just try to relax more and your hair will grow back. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think that's how it works. Right. And so that's just similar to like a lot of my patients now will tell me with their anxiety, someone will tell them, um, just try to like breathe. That's all it takes. Just breathe a few times and you'll be fine. I'm like, well, it's a good start, but there's more to it. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so I became a medical mystery. Um, I was presented to like a case as a case in front of like two universities and no one could figure anything out. In fact, they thought that I was crazy. That was their diagnosis that I was pulling out my own hair violently, or I was being abused. Neither of those things were happening because I was living in an apartment with my best girlfriends and we were all fine. It was just, my hair was falling out in clubs. I'm like all of the best minds in St. Louis at this time are basically saying that I'm crazy and I know I'm not. So I went on this journey of um, reading all the rheumatology journals, figuring out what inflammation looked like, looking at all the different inflammatory cascades and basically just talking to doctor after doctor after doctor, just not as a patient, but more as a colleague. And then realizing that there's this connection between your brain and inflammation. And so then I went and studied neuroscience and studied more about trauma um, and how burnout really affects the brain and the body. So I combined it all and started treating myself. And it's, it's not a complex program, but it does take consistency. And I realized that nothing in my, my routine was very steady. Like when I was an overachiever, it was just anything that happened. I would drop whatever I was doing to deal with what I was, would think as an emergency, but nothing was anchoring my brain and nothing was anchoring my body. 
So they went to war and basically my body was fighting off my hair and I wanted that to stop. And so to make them communicate again, I had to reteach both of them to calm down. So get out of fight or flight. And that way to do that is to make the body signals stop being so prevalent and also calm down the mind, but not in just like breathing and relaxing. Like I didn't go on like a yoga retreat. And then all of a sudden my hair grew back, even though it's like perfect, if you can go away for a little bit. So burnout is like a consistent lifestyle that I had been doing for so long. And then I had to rechange everything. Like I had to relook at everything that was a priority. So it was a mindset shift. It was a physical shift to like change how I was treating my body. And it wasn't just one thing. Um, so it was a comprehensive, um, thing that I had to address and it took two years for my hair to come back, but it came back. And then after that, I was like, I'm going to be that doctor. I want to be that doctor that deals with mysterious things that no one can figure out because if other people feel like how how I did during this process, then they deserve to be heard. And I would say that a lot of people similar to me, because even though I have my hair back, I still have an inflammatory process. I still have an autoimmune condition that every time, and it's still scary sometimes to this day, if I'm under too much stress, my hair will start falling out. And, um, our mutual friend knows because she sometimes will do my hair and she'll be like, Oh yeah, I see it. I see those baby hairs where like your hair fell out and you didn't even know. And it's growing back in. But the big thing is, is that it grows back in. It knows how to reconnect. So even if I have pain, even if I have an autoimmune condition still, even if I have flare ups, I'm not scared that that's my new life. I know how to live my life with the ups and downs and just go with it. Mm -hmm. And also, it's just like this whole understanding that life isn't without stress or without pain or without your condition, right? Like right. healing doesn't look like the absence of your condition necessarily. It looks like sometimes living with it in a way that still feels like you're thriving, that you're living, you're not scared of your own body. Mm -hmm. So that that's my whole journey. I mean, it took a long time and I can't say that I really felt secure in my own body until probably my late thirties. So, you know, all of this happened in a decade of still growing mm -hmm. internally, still learning about my body, treating people and still learning from them how to just walk through burnout and autoimmune conditions. And when your body's fighting against itself. So, um, yeah, so I just, I feel like just a, a strong passion to let people know, like, this is much deeper than just the physical part. It's not just the mental part. Um, oftentimes we think burnout is mental, but it, it can affect everything. Yeah. Well, and I just remembered when we had that conversation, cause it was shortly after I got diagnosed mm -hmm. with autoimmune disease mm -hmm. and I was kind of going through exactly what you were talking, what you're talking about of, and realizing that it's not just, um, physical, and, you know, I have a specific trigger for mine, but that's not the only trigger for mine. You know, mm -hmm. it's when you have an autoimmune disease, it, everything's a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so um, like, I think the toughest thing is that we, as humans always ask the question, why, like, why am I hurting? Why did yeah. this flare up happen? And I do that too. I'm like, okay, what did I do? What did I eat? What, mm -hmm. what stressors do I need to take out? And that's fine. But there comes a point, And I'm sure you would agree that that question why is not serving us anymore because yeah. sometimes you don't know. Yeah. And then you have to decide what the next question you want to ask yourself is, or yeah. what you want to do with not knowing right. that's where the change really happens. Yeah. I think 
What do, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I'm a year into my diagnosis of celiac disease and it's um, such a daily thing that I have to think about that I wasn't anticipating. I was, like you said, just hoping that there was, a, they would figure out what was wrong after years of, you know, blood and all tests and stuff. And then um, finding out it was something that I had to think about every single day, yeah. several times a day. Yeah. And that if I didn't do this, then I could very well end up in the hospital or, you know, cancer. <laughs> and so, but also not being afraid of that, that I think was the, like, I had, you know, a mourning period, you have a grieving period when you have something, a diagnosis like that. But, um, but I felt, um, I don't know. I, I, what was the question? <laughs> Well, I think like this idea of like, what is when you're, you no longer can ask the question why, cause you don't know what the cause is. Right. Yeah. Like, sometimes you, have you, to just just, you just have to find another thing to ask or yeah. like not ask anything. And I, I was just yeah. curious, like, do you stop asking? Like what helps you? Yeah. I mean, in those moments when I really truly don't know it, it becomes, um, well, for me in this time, you know, it's only been a year and they say, it, it can take years to heal. Um, and it never goes away. So it's really just, okay, what do I need right now to heal? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is a break. Sometimes that is just a nap. Sometimes that is certain foods. So, you know, so like you said, it's not just one thing. And I think that that's an important thing to note for people, whether they're, whether they have an autoimmune disease or not, whether they have mental illness, whether, you know, whether they have physical ailments, it's never just one thing. And I think a lot of times we try and, um, we, we try and solve problems as, as humans, right. We try and solve problems and we think that there should just be one solution. And I think that that is, um, where we get small mindedness from, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking global. I've moved on to like, <laughs> I've moved on to global issues now, but you know, when, when we focus on just one issue, we create other issues. So if I were only to focus on my eating and not address my mental health, then it, it wouldn't, it would still, I'd still be right back where I started or vice versa. If I only focused on my mental health and didn't focus on my, my physical symptoms, then, you know, and, and finding the right treatment. And I feel like now, I guess to answer your question um, more specifically, now I have a couple different formulas mm-hmm. of, of things that I can do. Like, um, you know, when I have a flare up, I get really emotional and I know that that's a flare up, like, cause I'm not a super emotional person on a normal day. So I just have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is just, this is only a season. This is just for a time period. And if it lasts longer than that, then I know something else is wrong, but right now I just need to let, you know, let the tears flow. <laughs> yeah. And actually that's really hard for high achievers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually the opposite of you. I'm hyper emotional. So when I start going into what I call mad professor mode, where I start shutting down these little emotional gates, then I'm like, Ooh, I'm setting myself up for burnout, which almost happened a few months ago, which is why we were delayed in even getting together to talk is because I realized like, Ooh, my emotional gates are shutting. So it's like the opposite, right? You know, right. it's just understanding when you start acting differently than what your norm is. Right. Um, and knowing that it's, it can be as simple as like, for you, it's being more emotional for me. It's being less emotional. Like I just get hyper-focused on something and I can't let it go. It, and I have patients that even tell me, 
sometimes like a thought will come into my head and I literally just think about that same thought for an hour, Mm -hmm. two hours. I can't let it go. It starts bothering me. Then I feel like I have to have a conversation with this person or multiple people. I have to quit my job. Then I have to like run away to the, I'm just like, (laughs) I've been there and I get that. And that is like a different mindset shift that is like giving you a clue that you might be headed towards a stress response. That's more fight or flight. Yeah. So when that happens and my partner, Jason has to like see all of this, unfortunately, but like (laughs) he sees the clues and he's like, okay, girl, like you need to pay attention. And, and because like, you know, the ones closest to us can see it more often than us. Mm -hmm. I've learned that that can be a great support system. Mm -hmm. If you can utilize that, if that makes sense, it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't get to I don't know, insulted that they're pointing out something. Right. But that's why like, that's the kind of relationship I have with my patients is that they've given me permission to point out things just like you mm-hmm. as a coach, you can say some pretty hard things in a nice package to people right. and say, mm, we need to pay attention to this. This yeah. is a clue towards something. And I, I guess that's one of the things that, um, yeah, like I really feel like the clues that I thought um, weren't there were actually there. I just, didn't see them. I chose to ignore them and I let it go too far. And now healing for me looks like really going back to the, just like being a detective and going back to what is that initial clue Mm -hmm. that if I, similar to you, like if I can hone in on this clue and there's this shift in who I am mentally, like, um, energy wise, even like in my eating habits and sleep habits. Um, if I can, find out what that first clue is, I can stop that whole process from getting too far. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I mean, both of us, um, struggle with autoimmune diseases. So this is very specific for us, but I don't think it really is. I think, um, it is true for most people, even if you don't have an autoimmune disease, it's, and I just was working, um, through this with a, a, a patient kind of like a patient. You're like a doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start calling you doctor. Pra- practically a doctor. I always tell my husband that, but <laughs> I think we could go with it. I'll just write you up a degree. Okay, We're good. Perfect. Um, so wh- I just was working through this with one of my clients, uh, with anxiety, like, okay, how, like, what can we identify? And I almost had to induce, um, not quite, but induce a panic attack because knowing thing, knowing that there were specific triggers so that we could find the pattern. Okay. So different things are causing it like different circumstances are causing this panic attack, but there's gotta be something similar. Like Mm -hmm. there are similarities. And if you can identify what is the trigger and I hate using that word because it's so, yeah, it's so triggering, (laughs) it's so triggering, (laughs) but, um, but what is the thing? What is the the thing that's starting the process of anxiety, burnout, autoimmune, whatever it is, um, anger, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, just something as simple yeah. as anger um, that you want to stop. It doesn't matter, you know, what it is, but if you want it to stop, where is it starting? And then how can you reroute it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the question, right? That So um, before we go any further, I wanted to talk, or I want you to um, help us through defining burnout. What is burnout? Yeah. So burnout is a mental, physical, emotional shift in which there is not your, there's no stability. 
So like basically there's 12 stages of burnout. And this was a study done in the 1970s. Cause let me nerd out for a moment. I know you please totally do. could. Please do. <laughs> if I had like nerdy glasses to put on, I totally would right now. <laughs> like, let me nerd out. Okay. So there's this cool study that happened in the 1970s that got buried in all of this psychological literature. This group, um, looked at uh, like a bunch of different factory workers or different workers, maybe office workers as well. And they discovered 12 stages of burnout. And then all of this good literature got buried for a really long time. And people just like treated things more individually, meaning like depression, anxiety, things like that. And they, they wouldn't equate it to trying to see which stage of burnout someone was in because they're just like, oh, well, this person has anxiety well, I'm sure they're dissatisfied with work, but certainly it's not because of burnout. It's like, there's clues that are always leading you towards like end stage burnout, which is that full, like emotional, um, mental, physical kind of collapse of stability, meaning like you have no routine um, and depression and anxiety are actually stage 11. And then full total burnout is like autoimmune conditions, um, chronic pain, Um, in addition to all those mental things. So it's like everything just kind of isn't doing well by that point. But before that you have 10 other stages, right? If 11 is depression and 12 is total burnout, you have 10 stages that you can possibly help people with before they even get there. And almost everyone is in some stage of burnout. And because we didn't normalize that from the 1970s, we now have a culture in which people are told in order for you to be a high achiever and to be a goal getter, you're just going to push yourself and push yourself. But if you can imagine for a second, if back in the 1970s, someone listened to these guys and maybe a gal, I think it's a guy and a gal that wrote the research and they said, oh my gosh, maybe we should adopt understanding these 12 stages and not let our employees even get to stage five. What if we had programs that implemented this and then our culture would be completely different now because that was like, you know, 40 some years ago. Like I often think about that because now I'm trying to reverse a cultural norm that Mm -hmm. says that you are not successful unless you push past some kind of restriction. But when we push past that restriction and sacrifice our body, our mental health, we don't even recognize it until we get to these end stages now. Whereas by like level five, you're already revising your, um, your goals and like how you live and your values. And that's actually a big deal. Like people should be stopping there and saying, I'm not who I was before, but instead we as companies, as employers, and as even like high achieving individuals or overachieving individuals, we keep saying, oh no, it's totally fine. This is what it looks like to climb the corporate ladder. This is what it looks like to be successful. I'm just going to keep pushing, but you're already in stage five. You only have so many stages left. And then that's why who comes to me are usually very high achievers in corporate America, high level entrepreneurs who own their own business have been so successful that they can't even enjoy the success because they didn't have a, a framework. They just pushed through. Mm-hmm. And now, now they have to listen to their body because their body's screaming and it won't stop screaming and they, they don't have a choice. Right. So, um, so the, in that sense, burnout is really interesting because the first stage of burnout is an obsession to, um, to do things perfectly. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of Mm -hmm. talking about that earlier. And that's just like when you, it's like almost like a compulsion to prove yourself. Yeah. Is the first station of the first stage of burnout. 
Yeah. I mean, I talk about that a lot. I even, um, for the people that have listened to the first episode, I talk about perfection. Actually, I talk about perfection in almost every episode (laughs) because it is the first stage of burnout and it's the first sign. I think that, um, something is wrong. Like something, some, something's not connecting, like whether it's because of trauma, whether it's because of your own expectations, because of society, whatever, it doesn't really matter what causes it necessarily, but it is, it's a, it's a sign. And that's something that I specifically for this podcast had to push past because, um, well, I've had to push past it a lot in my life. And you're right. When my body got to the point where it was so sick, then I, w- then I was um, failing at everything mm-hmm. because I physically couldn't do what I needed to do. Mentally, I may have been able to, um, but then it kind of trickled down into the physical for me. That was kind of my um, last, I guess, stage was, and I honestly, I've never actually thought about it as a burnout, but it totally was. Mm-hmm. And it was when my body was like, you are going to bed at four o'clock and you're not going to be able to move. You're going to wake up like a 90 year old woman. And that's just the way you're going to live. And then to have doctors um, and, you know, not to talk smack about, you know, the medical field. Cause I, I think it's so valuable, but um, all the doctors I'd been to, I'd probably been to 20 doctors and they did tests and they did, you know, I think the, actually the most refreshing doctor I had was the doctor that told me, you know, I can tell something's wrong. I just don't know what it is. And up until that point, I'd been having doctors tell me everything looks good. And I'm like, you're fine, but I'm not fine. You know? And I knew I wasn't fine. And yeah, I got told I was crazy too. And I was depressed. I'm like, and you take feel depressed. I don't like, yeah. Am I? And then I'm like, am I depressed? I don't think I'm depressed. I'm actually pretty happy with my life, you know? Right. Um, And it's very confusing by those end stages because mm -hmm. everything's mixed together because those body and brain signals are so mixed up. Yeah. Like your, your body is sending way too many signals, basically saying, please pay attention to me brain. And then your brain saying, um, no, I don't like the tone of voice that you have body. (laughs) I'm going to just basically shut you off. And we actually have a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is our, and you know this, but Mm -hmm. like, um, is our emotional center of our brain, but that controls good and bad emotional responses from our brain. So if our own bodies are sending something that is seen as a negative emotion, it has a self-protect mechanism that shuts out all of those signals from our bodies, puts it in a closet and says, never mind, which is what leads us to stage 11, anxiety, depression, and like total body burnout. Because once they stop talking to each other, you have, you have no communication. The body's going to do whatever it wants to do, which makes you feel like a 90 year old woman that can't get out of bed <laughs> because it's just like, we're a freight train where you're going to just keep running. Yep. And then your brain is just like, da I'm just going to keep going. And most of the time, by that point, your brain is so ingrained in this. Um, I don't know, just like this need to like, keep surviving. Mm-hmm. It's almost like stuck in a trauma cycle of survival that it's even hard to even feel the pain. And when it does, Mm -hmm. when you do feel the pain or those symptoms, they're so severe that you go back into shut out mode. Yeah. Right. So that's what happened to me is like, I had not just my hair fall out, but then I had joint pain. I had, um, like I lost a ton of weight. I had skin issues, sleep issues, things like that. And I couldn't get out of that cycle because it was almost like every time 
I kept putting my faith in something that would heal me. That wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there's a doctor, maybe there's a news test. Maybe if I buy this like weird bracelet, it's going to like, you know, like all these weird mm-hmm. gimmicks. And so, um, I love what you said earlier about the fact that it's a lot of different things altogether. If you miss, if you only focus on one thing, like if I only focused on nutrition or if I only focused on changing, like, you know, my, my hair, like just, I did this crazy experiment. The doctor had recommended it where they put like, um, a derivative of poison Ivy on my head, thinking that my body would attack the poison Ivy and my hair would grow back. That is wild. That's crazy. And it was horrible. Cause I had scabs all over my head. Uh-huh. And I had to still go to work with like pussy scabs. And I was like, this is a gimmick. Like this is everyone's best guess, but like, that's where you end up sometimes with these autoimmune conditions, like these Mm -hmm. mysterious conditions um, where they don't know what else to do. So they're just like, here, let's just put poison on your head (laughs) and try to fix this. And I was like, okay. Right. And so I was putting my faith in something that um, really believing in something that I don't think that I really trusted my body could heal. And so that is part of that total burnout phase because you are just scrambling for anything to have hope, but you also have no hope and you don't know what to put your faith in, not even in yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a really tough place to be. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so climbing out of that and realizing, okay, well, I think my body is designed to heal. That's the first and first and foremost, but I don't know how to heal like that whole process is what I really focus on first with my patients that come through is this idea of if you are hopeless, we need to reconnect your brain and body. So you can at least trust that your brain actually wants good for your body Mm -hmm. and that your body wants good signals to your brain. And that's actually a very, that could be like a year long process in and of itself, but that's what you're essentially doing with all the things that you've learned in this past year. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so many different ways to go about it. So like, don't follow the gimmicks. There is no one way and don't put poison on your head guys. Like, do that's not, just not that, <laughs> we that's don't normally gimmicks. get medical advice on this podcast, but we I are feel today. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's do a not pretty put, sound one. <laughs> yeah. Do not put poison ivy on your head at any time no. or any part of your body. No, really. Please don't. <laughs> it is not going to work. Um, okay. So we've gone through a lot. Um, So when we talk about burnout, you said most of your clients are entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. or like high achieving people in general. Um, You know, we can, they can decide if they're overachievers or not, right? Um, So, you know, you, during that time, you were um, just starting your practice, right? So you Well, I was working for a hospital. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you decided to go into business for yourself, right? No, not quite yet. Okay. No, I actually... Then from that point, I became a mom. And if you want to talk about burnout, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's just, let's go let's ahead and, and let's, talk about, let's go ahead and go into that first. Being a mom was like the hardest thing. And that was after I healed and got my hair back. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I wasn't an entrepreneur, but I was in a high, highly driven career where I wanted to perform and do my best. And, um, and it's just so strange because like you, if you're an entrepreneur type of person, even if you're not running a business yet, yeah. you're all, you always have a million ideas and Absolutely. you're just waiting for the right time. So I think I always had that mindset and then being a mom hit. And I realized that being a mom is absolutely the hardest job I've ever mm-hmm. done. It is way harder than running my business. It is running like five businesses all at once. Yeah with like being blindfolded and only one hand, like that is what it's like raising two kids when they're young. And so, um, 
So that actually was really hard. I went through a couple of more stages of burnout where I didn't lose my hair, but I went into such low immune system states and I couldn't sleep well. I couldn't, I couldn't even like move well. Like I wasn't, it's like interesting because I talk to moms sometimes and they're just like, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm like, that's like the end stage of it. Before you had all these other clues, like maybe you didn't even know that you like we're giving up like your one shower every day because you were just taking care of another human. And even though that's really important and an admirable thing, you were already starting to burn out. Right. right. And so I didn't know that I had two kids and they weren't even that close together. They were almost three years apart. So I was in like six years worth of just mid stage burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, before I even got to like, you know, moving out here and doing my own practice. So, yeah. yeah so that's, I mean, I'm sure you can relate, right? Like this idea of being a mom as yeah. we try to do so much as moms and women and wives and everything, friends, sisters, everything. And if you're a giving person, like a, a compassionate person that like sees pain in other people, you are more susceptible to burnout because you feel everything around you. Yeah. Um, And that's what I had to accept about myself. But like, I think everyone has the ability to have this like sensitivity and it's just life that either makes you more like you, you toughen up and have a skin or you just get more and more sensitive so much so that you both sides can get sick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And yeah, being a mom, um, you know, that was, you know, autoimmune diseases can be triggered. And, you know, if we're using that word again, but this actually is like the medical term for it. (laughs) Um, So I think for me, um, my, I I think I always had it, but I think it got majorly triggered when I had my first son. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the first time I started having symptoms of depression. Um, And yeah, you know, lack of sleep alone. I mean, there is a reason that is a torture um, device in the military, or maybe it, maybe it's not anymore. But anyway, um, lack of sleep alone can do that to you. And then if you have all this other stuff going on, so and I and I think a lot of times running a business is very um, similar in the process, at least, <laughs> to um, running a household and um, taking care of kids, and you know, just taking care of something that's not yourself basically. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of symmetry between entrepreneurship and parenting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if you try to do both at the same time, yeah. like that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Like I think finding that balance and we were just mentioning that even before, you know, when you're like, how was your week? And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's what every entrepreneur is trying to figure out. It's like, like, we're not trying to just have it all just for the sake of having it all. Mm -hmm. It's like, we want to have families. We want to do well in everything that we have in our lives, because those are valuable, like humans, Mm -hmm. like our little kids are valuable to us. Mm -hmm. We want to do right by them. But then we also have, um, these businesses that we want to do right by. Mm -hmm. And it's not always clear cut who you should pay attention to. If like, like if people could have a sign that says, I need your help right now, but I'm okay waiting. Right. Versus like, <laughs> I um, can wait like, 15 to 20 minutes, right. not two hours. <laughs> yes. And like, you know, then I could prioritize a bit better, but usually everything feels like an emergency situation all right. the time. And, um, if you are a business owner, 
and you're a family person, you know, so mom, dad, even if you're taking care of your like elderly parents, if you have someone that you're taking care of just like within the family structure, Mm -hmm. right. People that just might need more like help either mentally or physically, it may not even be your kids, like Mm -hmm. anyone that kind of takes that extra need of compassion and care you need to like know where that balance is, know how to not put out every fire all at once. Cause that's never mm-hmm. going to happen. Know how to let things burn a little bit, not putting that on yourself. Right. And that's the biggest thing that I learned is not everything is burning to the ground. Right. And everything can be, is okay. If I don't pay attention to it right away yeah. and I don't have to solve every problem. And so that's now I bring that into my business and it's very freeing. So I like I did a consulting business back in St. Louis. And then I did it very differently moving out here because out here was also another kind of rebirth for me. Um, changing like everything that I did from St. Louis just felt like it was starting to go into that burnout cycle again. Um, I was teaching at a two universities and I had this great opportunity and I just felt like, ooh this feels too familiar. Like I might be burning out. So I actually picked up everything, started over in planted here four years ago. And what's interesting about all of that is now I don't put out fires. I don't even put out the fires in my patients' lives. I teach them to put out their fires in the right time. And that's so much more freeing Mm -hmm. than trying to be like, I'm going to fix you and cure you and cure myself and fix everything. And, um, nothing can ever go wrong. It's that perfectionism that you're talking about, but it's, it comes from a good place and a good intention of trying to help. And that's, oftentimes how we mask it. Mm-hmm. It's not really helping if you're only doing it for your own sake, that everything is lined up and right. not messy. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that actually is one of the stages of burnout is not allowing things to get messy. Like yeah. almost like you can't let things go out of control. Um, pay attention to those things is what I tell people. Mm-hmm. Like when you start like kind of clamping down a little bit more, putting out all the fires because you're the only one that can do it. Yeah. That's something that you have to pay attention to because you're not, you're not the only one right. that can do that. Well, and it can feel that way. I think, especially in, well, we'll use mothering and entrepreneurship because those are two really good examples that you, sometimes you are like, yes. you may be the only one that can breastfeed your child. Right. <laughs> but you're not the only one usually that can feed your child, you know? And, um, that's just, you know, a very small example, but in that moment it can feel that way. And so it, I think a lot of times it's, it's all about choices, right? We make a choice to pause sometimes. And that is hard. (laughs) It's so hard. I challenged a friend recently because she, just had a bunch of stuff going on, like just a bunch. And it was a lot, like it legitimately was a lot of things that she had to personally handle. And I called her, I I can't remember why I called her, but I called her and I said, man, you've had a lot going on. And she's like, yeah, blah, 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 but it's fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Mm mm-hmm. That's not fine. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that all the time. Oh too. my gosh. I'm and how fine. many times have you said that to yourself? I do that to yeah. myself. And I that is one of the clues. Like when I start saying it's fine, it's fine, but I'm like gripping in the chair yeah. and I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not fine. Yeah. Maybe that's like a good um sign for that we can give people. <laughs> like, here's your sign. If you're saying you're fine, yeah. <laughs> oh, it rhymes too then you're not fine. And, um, that's usually true. <laughs> that is very 
true. <laughs> um, but what I challenged her to do was to put her phone down and breathe for a solid two minutes. And she goes, that sounds really hard. And I was like, oh, it's, it's super hard <laughs> because, you know, just putting the phone down for two minutes sometimes is really hard for people, but to sit there and breathe and not actually do anything. And, you know, I just got back from a weekend of really not doing anything. I mean, we did stuff, but you know, I, I was think, watching my boys, um, skipping rocks on the lake. We went to a lake house and they were skipping rocks and, you know, they're teenagers. One of them's going, you know, he's got a job and he's going into adulthood, you know, yeah. flying the nest. Um, but as they were skipping rocks and just, you know, it's just quiet and there's not a whole lot going on. I was like, this is probably the best gift I can give them is the ability to recognize that it's okay to do nothing Mm -hmm. and just sit on the porch and not do anything. Yeah. You know, isn't that like kind of this thing about human nature that we lose very quickly somehow, either in our upbringing or in the culture that we have is that we think that our existence our worth is based on what we do mm-hmm. and not just existing for who we are and what we yeah. were just because we were born, we have value. Right. Right. And, um, gosh, it's like burnout really is reversing all of those things, those lies that we've kind of bought into yeah. even for the right reasons, right? Because we want to be altruistic. We want to help other people. We want to do the right thing for all the people that we love, all of those things. It's the right motivation. But if we can't really accept the fact that if we did nothing else, but just skip rocks or just like chill and just exist, we are still people of value. Yeah we, we, we are lost to our mm-hmm. actual inherent value. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the most powerful gift that we have for ourselves, um, is to know that we are worth something. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's great that you were able to see that. Yeah. So, uh, so when we talk about like the antidote, I guess you said there was 12 steps to burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is finding where, you know, what step you're at or what stage you're at. Can you tell us where, when we can recognize, if we've recognized that we're in some stage of burnout, whatever stage that is, and even if we don't know which stage it is, that we are definitely in some sort of spiral. Um, Can you tell us what are those signs? Like, what are usually the first signs that you see, or maybe that you experienced yourself that you can identify where you were like, okay, now I know when I, I mean, we talked a little bit about like, what we know for ourselves, but what do you see? Like, is there a common thread mm-hmm. with patients? Like what are, what are they, what do they recognize first? So I would say that the first thing that probably changes is these interesting um, mood changes. That's probably the key things. Cause we kind of talked a little bit about that. It's like, all of a sudden you become more emotional. I become mm-hmm. less emotional. So that's kind of the first thing. And so I just wanted to reiterate that because Mm -hmm. oftentimes, and I was just talking to a patient today, so I'm going to use him as, as an example, he can even, he knows that going for a run is good. He feels good. He feels like he's doing something for himself and it, it works well to relieve stress, but what'll happen when he's in a, one of the middle stages of burnout is that he'll go for a run then he comes home and he snaps at his kids. He's more irritated. He's kind of like, oh, now I can't do anything for myself anymore. Now I have to be back around you guys. Mm. And that's the reality of that mood 
change mm-hmm. that you're like, Ooh, I don't like that. I don't yeah, like that's what, not I'm what I actually think. Yeah. yeah. But then you, it's also what you're really thinking at the right. same time. Yeah. Right. So you have to like own up to it, but not take it to heart. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting. And we'll just keep using him as an example is that that kind of recognition of like, Ooh, I don't like this mood shift that I've created can go one of two ways. It can go into anger or it can go into depression. Like, Oh, I blame myself. There's something wrong with me or gosh, like everything is wrong in the world. And they're all causing me to act this way. Right. Those are the two <laughs> other things that I often see. And in my office, it's that clear cut. It's like, everyone thinks it's, you know, it's, or one, one particular population of my patients think that it's everyone else's problem. And if they would just shape up, the world would shape up, their <laughs> right. lives would be fine. I'm like, okay, I well, hear that, you. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that is kind of true, but it's also not very realistic. Not very realistic right. <laughs> and then the other side of it is that they're, they take it on themselves. They're just like, I can't figure it out. I'm like a stupid human. I really am the worst person. I look at me. I'm just like snapping at my kids. Why am I even a dad? Uh, blah, 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 the spiral. And then guilt and shame. Exactly. Right. So there's that. And then also another thing. uh, So that's just finishing up the mood swings. And then another thing that I often see is these interesting blips in which people's past trauma just floats into their head. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting where you could just be like washing dishes. And then all of a sudden you have this memory and you're like, where did that come from? I don't even like this. Can we please put this away? This feels yucky, but I don't even know all the details. It just feels yucky because that barrier between your brain and body has not really been like, they're just at war. Essentially Mm -hmm. weird stuff comes out of your amygdala. Mm -hmm. So I often ask people, what are your dreams? How well are you sleeping? Because all of that's going to affect how well you sleep. If you are just feeling yucky about some random thoughts that are going on throughout your day, that's going to add to the stress. And even if you push those thoughts out, they may keep coming back. And that's one of the things that um, I'll often see is that these ruminating memories of past trauma. So that's another thing that's interesting. And then going with that, it's like, um, like sleep issues, uh, changes of habit of eating, right? Mm-hmm. So either eating too much or not eating enough and then self-medication. So those mm-hmm. are like the big things. Like if you are um, self-medicating with alcohol or drugs, and you kind of know that it's not just like for fun or just for a break anymore, but, and you kind of know that there's something there. That's, that's what I like to just have people highlight for themselves and just be really honest. And I'm not the person, um, to be like, you need to, I won't treat you unless you get off of X, Y, Z. Like, that's not how I am in my practice. We partner with the medicines that you might need to take. Um, even if people tell me like, really honestly, like I have three or four drinks a night, I'm going to be like, okay, well, we're not going to start there because the last thing you need for me is just like, take away something that's comforting, but it's something to take note of because they usually know like the person themselves know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing that, um, to be aware of and just to, to know that these are, these are the the clues that like, by the time that you are self-medicating, you are closing in on the, the like stage, like seven through 12. And you're on the back half, like you're going downhill fast. So, um, and oftentimes people just stay there, right? So sometimes you don't progress. You just stay and you self-medicate and you stay in these middle stages. And then one day you wake up and you're like, I don't really like my life. I have a lot of people come in with me and they don't have autoimmune conditions, but they're like, I don't feel good. Then the last thing that I would point out is anxiety. So anxiety, even before you start having physical symptoms, 
well, maybe the better way to say it is the physical symptoms of anxiety. So your heart racing, that tightness in your chest, and then your muscles just feeling really tense and sore. And that achiness that you might feel throughout is something to pay attention to. Like if you are having just like this feeling, like you can't get your catch your breath, you might have random moments of sweating and you're like, well, that's weird. I don't know where that like weird stuff happens. Some people yeah. get dizzy. I get people that have ringing in their ears come to see me. Headaches is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then GI issues because the GI system is connected to the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is part of our fight or flight response. So, um, yeah, all of those things. It's so, but it's a progression and it's mm-hmm. those mood shifts it that are the it. first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the antidote is to pay attention to all of those and to slowly with compassion on yourself to take those moments, like those different parts, right? You look at nutrition, you look at how we can make the body feel safe again. We look at maybe even some issues with your trauma, but not digging up too much, right? Mm -hmm. We just address them as they come up. Um, And that's how I'm different than like a psychologist or a counselor is Mm -hmm. that I don't, I don't go into the trauma unless the person manifests it physically, right? right? Like, so it's one of those things that it's very safe. I'm almost, but I always work with a counselor or a psychologist in the sense of like, I know it's going to come up yeah. at some point as you get deeper into that clearing out of the burnout, it's going to come up the yeah. trauma stuff. And you have to hit, hit it head on at some yeah. point. So yeah. yeah, hopefully that answered. Yeah. No, it totally does. Um, so I love what you talked about of, um, you know, just paying attention to those things that are happening. And I think that is, that is a choice in and of itself to even pay attention and look. And sometimes it's a little scary to look and, you know, it's like, you know, but you don't want to know. And so I love that. So first step is really just kind of take an inventory of what's going on with you. Like, what are you feeling? What do you, um, what is your body doing? You know, what is it telling you? And even if you don't know exactly what it's telling you, is it telling you you're in pain? Is it telling you you have a headache? Um, and I do believe our bodies tell us so much before, like, I usually can tell, um, physically when I'm in a flare up before, or I'm sorry, I can usually tell mentally that I'm in a flare up before my physical body catches up. And it's very interesting to me because my symptoms specifically with celiac disease start physically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's so interesting that my brain is actually the first thing that starts being affected. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's why you can do things like applied neuroscience or brain training Mm -hmm. to reverse autoimmune conditions. Right. It's one of the things, right? Like it's it's not everything, but because you still have to do all the other parts of, you know, taking care of your body. But just like you're saying that huge component of what your brain is doing and what your brain is telling you, like, you don't have to suffer. That's yeah. the biggest thing. It's like, how much do you want to suffer through this? Cause you're, this whole thing is like a train that you can't stop once it starts. Right. And that's the thing that is the most shocking for people when they're in burnout and they start hitting that total burnout, like stage 12 is that they realize that they have no control anymore. And, but then after that, and you have to live with it, like you're living with it. I'm living with it. You're just like, Oh, I don't need to be scared that I'm not in control. Right. And that actually is very healing in and of itself. Absolutely. And then you're just like, Oh, listen to the cues. And if I miss the cues, it's okay. I have grace enough for myself to say, Mm -hmm. okay, 
I'm going down this road a little bit and then I'm I know how to stop it and reverse it. Um, if you have those tools, then you just have to keep using them for the rest of your life. And it's actually better on this side. I would say, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So much better. And, and I, I, I need to write a blog post about, you know, what a difference a year makes because a year ago I could barely move, you know? And so, and then this last weekend I went hiking, you know, so it's, um, it's a journey, but it's also, um, I think it was a decision I made to like, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. And obviously I have people to help me. I have doctors to help me and, um, massage therapists and all, all of that to help me. But I think recognizing that it's even possible to not feel bad Mm -hmm. and not feel sad and not feel angry and not feel, you know, frustrated all the time and chaotic all the time. I think that's what the retraining needs to start is recognizing that that's not, it may be normal, but it's not, um, good. Yeah. it's (laughs) It's like a lot of people, like, you know, I all get together with a group of girlfriends and it's like all of us being in chaos mode does not make for a good girl's night. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, like you can like get stuff off of your chest and vent. And I think that's so good. And like, you know, it's good to just be able to say life is chaotic and hard, mm-hmm. but then the real growth actually happens when you look at how you can stop the chaos. Mm-hmm. Cause I used to be that person that would just be like, I can vent everything. And like, it feels good. And then I have my girls and we always vent about how chaotic life is. And one day I realized like, and this is back in St. Louis, I'm like, all of us are just living chaotic lives and we're not changing anything. Right. Like what if we actually made a choice and our girls night actually became something in which we could still be honest about ourselves, but actually decided I'm not going to let this chaos rule me. Yeah. Like what if we chose that? And it was very life-changing to be able to say that and find girls that could support me in that. And so that's the last thing I guess I would say is that your environment around you, the people will always, if they're not supportive and they're driving you towards chaos, that's something to look at too. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes there's real things that you don't control. Someone gets sick, someone, um, you know, is injured, um, you know, like financial stuff, someone loses their job or there's a death in the family. Those things, obviously we all have to absorb as a collective, like, you know, like human race, right? Like there's no one that's going to escape suffering, but there's also bad influences of chaos that you might compare yourself to this one person. And you're just like, I'm, I want my life to be like theirs. Mm -hmm. And like what they do is not right for your body or for your, what your real like setup is inside of your soul essentially. And it's going to drain you. Whereas for them, it doesn't. And then you might not have the support system that you need to. And then you just feel like you're failing when you're not, you just, didn't aim for the thing that was meant to be yours. Right. So that, that revision of goals is really important, um, to make sure that chaos is not no longer a part of that equation. Um, some people love the drama and Mm -hmm. I've had friends, um, that love the drama and sometimes you have to hold really tough boundaries with them. Cause you're like, I just can't do that anymore. Yeah. And you decide what you want to feed. Um, I've definitely had to do that as well. Put boundaries in place with friends. Like, okay, this is not okay with me. If you want to do that, that's totally fine. I'm not judging you. I'm not shaming you. It's not okay for me. So I'm going to exit. And I think I've said those exact words a couple times. <laughs> and for someone that is, you know, in, in their own journey in that moment, it can be hurtful. Yeah. 
But at some point when you're in the end stages of burnout, you get into survival mode and you do what you have to do. Um, and obviously not at the detriment of other people and hurting other people, but, um, it it may, you may have to reprioritize your relationships. Mm -hmm. So this is also good. So the other thing I wanted to note is, um, what you said about the burnout stages, sometimes lasting years and that you can stay in one stage and it's different for everybody because I know that in my clients, I see that too. Like you've been in this same stage for this long. So why do you think that you can just continue? Mm -hmm. Like you don't like it. So why are we, why are we staying here? You know, and it's a choice to be made a lot of times, but sometimes it's, it's just the unseen that is causing it and finding where you're at. And then, you know, knowing that it's a journey that the stage may last for a while, but that's okay. And figuring out how to deal with it and all of that. So yeah, I, I feel that. like there's never a time where you can't reverse mm-hmm. burnout, right? Like you yeah. can live your entire lives like till you're 70 years old and there's still a change that can be had to make your life better. And that's, that's what I just, I think people often think, like I, I often have patients who are a little bit older in years and they'll say, well, I just hurt, or this is just what it looks like when you get old. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you accept that? Like, I don't want to just accept it just because I'm X eight and like number mm-hmm. age that I'm going to just feel bad. Like there's no prescription for that. That says like, when you are 80, you need to just feel horrible, right? Like you can actually live life and reverse these things. And so I love what you're saying, because like, even if the stage lasts a really long time, if you can get out of that shame and guilt and like frustration with yourself and you make a choice, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage you are, you can make that reversal. And it is a choice. And, um, I'm glad that my stuff started when I was young. Cause now every single like stage of growth that I've had, I can tell that I've learned something new. Right. And so I can honestly say that I choose to fully live my life in the present all the time versus just living in the chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to go through many years of learning that right. to get here and, yeah. but it's worth it. And, yeah. um, it can be done and, And when people are ready for help and they just need someone to walk through the health part of it, that's where I come in. Right. And it, but it's all rolled together, right? Like it's just knowing that people just need care and maybe they've not cared for themselves or had anyone care for them or hear their story. And that's the best thing we can do for each other is like, listen to each other's story because I'm just like one person and one practitioner. And I do have a great community of fellow like-minded practitioners and I love it. But like, if you are a person that can look at your fellow neighbor or friend, whoever, and hear their story, hear the pain and the realness behind it, man, our entire society would be so much better off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And and that's part of the reason that I started this podcast is because I think we'll just use burnout as an example. When you're in, when you're in it, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're in it and you are just feeling like you're drowning, it feels like you're the only one there. It feels like you're in quicksand and you're just sinking and there's no way out. And the more you move or the, you know, sometimes you do try stuff. I mean, I tried stuff for years to make myself feel better, you know, this and that, and, you know, modern medicine and Western medicine and all the, all this stuff and the bracelets, the crazy bracelets. (laughs) 
<laughs> but no poison ivy. No, I, I did far. not do poison ivy. No, I did not. Um, but you know, that that's one of the reasons I started this podcast is that I wanted people, you know, if it's just one person that listens to this and doesn't feel alone and has hope, just a little bit of spark of a hope, then that's what it takes, you know, and as a society, I think in general, that's what it takes is just listening and making someone not feel alone. Yeah. Because we're not, we're not, alone. we're not alone. And like, literally, like, I think, I think we have this desire to be a, like a more compassionate community, even after COVID, I feel mm-hmm. like people are recognizing because COVID changed so many dynamics. Mm-hmm. And now we can actually see what happens when we're away from each other and yeah. what happens to our mental health. And it's yeah. not good. Yeah. So we want to have that connectedness. We want to hear each other's story without judgment and, and really like point out with love, like, Hey, I see you hurting here. Um, let's not push through into the chaos let's actually like, let me hold space for you. Let me like, see what I can do to make, make you not go into that burnout anymore. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's a lot of what I loved educating just the community about is just mm-hmm. like, Hey, we don't have to live this way. Yeah. Stop the cycle. Yeah. It's okay. It's like uh, my campaign is like, yeah, just we, you can choose how you want to live. Right. There's not one way, but like we have been taught that high achievers can only achieve if there is pain and grit. Yeah. It's like this, no pain, no gain thing. Yeah. And that's like, that's my anti-slogan. I yeah. hate it. Yep. It is not true for the, for what my goal is. I think it's right. true for another subset. I think that's fine. You know, like there's certain people that that really resonates with, but for the people that I want to walk through burnout with, that is never going to reverse burnout. Yeah. Because the way that you got there was because you thought no gain, no, or no pain, no gain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love this. I know we can talk for hours and hours, <laughs> but do I have time for that today? No. Um, so you have a program, right? For burnout. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's in a few different stages, but I'm rolling out the free version, which is just an interesting model of how you can actually help the body feel safe again, using a uh, fascial release and lymphatic drainage. So, and then also some of this mindset shift. So I combine all of them and it's a little taste of my, um, membership burnout or program. And so there's like three different stages. The, the, for like the number three, um, stage is like actually working with me and the health coach that works with me. So, um, people can choose, but the, the free version is just to let people know, like, Hey, this is some, something that might help it's free. Why not try it? Yeah. And then, um, and then, yeah, I try to do some education pieces on Instagram, just helping people understand even the different stages. Um, cause everyone knows like total burnout looks a certain way. Right. But no one ever thinks, except for you, because you're so, because you're Dr. Faith, (laughs) um, that like perfectionism is one of the stages, right? right? Like, and so these, these little education tidbits I try to do on my Instagram. Yeah. Um, Okay. So tell us how to access the burnout program. Yeah. So it's on my website and it is um, uh, www.mind-door.com. And I'll put that in the comments as well. And then your Instagram is the same, right? Um, it's actually at burnout rescue. Oh, oh sorry. At burnout rescue. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. And I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about more things and maybe we should do a class. 
Ooh, I would love that. I think we should. I think we should just do a free community. Class. Absolutely. Like a, yeah, we'll have to brainstorm. Okay. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> I love hanging you. out with you. Oh, I love hanging out with you too. Um, and I love that we can give people a little bit of hope. Yeah. So if you got nothing else from this, I hope you got a little bit of hope and a little information on burnout. Um, not only so you can recognize it in yourself, but also so you can maybe recognize it in someone you love. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Confident Entrepreneur.